Well, amen. Let's get us a songbook out and let's stand together and get ready to sing this morning. All right, let's take our songbook. Let's turn to number 490, 490. Let's, let's sing out good and strong this morning. Revive us again. We praise thee, O God, for the blood of thy love, for Jesus who died and Hugo, 
who I preached for a couple, well, about a month or so ago, he called me on Friday afternoon. He told me, he said, he said our church has been talking about uh, we want to have a revival meeting. He said, and they keep mentioning your name, and they want to have you come over and do a revival meeting. So I told him I'd be glad and honored to do it. So sometime around the end of September, uh, October, I'll be doing a revival meeting over at Victor Baptist in Hugo, Oklahoma. So pray about that. I know it's a long way off, but I appreciate all the praying you'll do about it because we'll need it. Amen. And uh, it's a great opportunity there. They don't do it in the church house. I know a couple of years ago they blocked off they blocked off 271 going into Hugo and set up a outdoor stage. And he said they had about 2,000 people walking by there one night or around there that one one night in particular. And, and they've done it somewhere else. I think he's talking about doing it at the rodeo arena up there this year. So have a chance to reach a lot of people. So really, really pray for that and pray that God just gives us the opportunity to do something great for him. Um, I've got a friend, Carl Cullum in Paris, that needs your prayer. Um, I know there are others. I can't think. I, I always draw a blank sometimes I get up here. Um, anybody else? Any other prayer requests? Uh, special Olympics coach. Mm-hmm. He went and had a pitfall, and he's been hurt and worked in the tooth pain or the toothache itself. Yeah. And I think maybe he has a tooth left in there. Mm-hmm. And yesterday when we, we went to competition, it broke his heart because he had to stay in the bud. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, a tooth ain't nothing to mess with. I know I've had trouble with them for years. All right. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Amen. We'll be praying for them. We have been praying. Continue to. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? All right. Well. Anybody, everybody in here okay? Anybody in here need prayer? <laughs> All right. All right, Miss Linda, we'll pray for you. Amen. Uh, before we before we uh before we go any further, I wanna fix something that I didn't take care of before. Uh would you would you hit happy birthday on there? Before we get out of April, I didn't ever sing happy birthday today, and I mentioned it, but I'm gonna sing happy birthday to you since it's still April, amen. Well, let's sing to sing to Dan. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Hey, praise the Lord. Anybody else? All right. Anybody else got a birthday? Huh? Yours was a third? We didn't sing to you either, did we? All right. All right. Well, happy birthday to you too, brother. Amen. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, let's go to God in prayer. Let's ask God to meet with us this morning. Let's ask God to speak to hearts today. Why don't you ask God to speak to your heart? Why don't you say, God, speak to me. Say something to me this morning. Lead me in the right direction this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Robert, lead us. Amen. You be seated.
it was. I thought so. 
to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. Well, praise God. I'm glad you're in church this morning. Amen. Take your Bible this morning, turn with me to chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 this morning. Verses 1 through 9. And this is not really a preaching message, it's more of a teaching message, but I'm sure we can find some preach in here somewhere. But I want you to learn something this morning. I want you to get something maybe you hadn't had before. In going through this chapter, I realize there are verses. There are verses sometimes in my previous preaching where I cherry-picked verses, and it's like, wait a minute. That ain't what that was saying. You ever run across that? Run across a verse is like, wait, now hold on a minute. People have been quoting that to me for years. I've been saying that for years. And that ain't even what even what that's saying. Have you done that? I mean, you know, God will straighten you out if you if you read it. That's that's why we don't that's why preachers who, who I call them grasshopper preachers because they just bounce from one place to another in the Bible. It's just like I think they go home on, on Sunday afternoon and they, they spin the Bible they flip the pages and they go, I'll preach right there today and they have no idea in context what they're preaching on. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of being uh, over the top with that. I don't think they really do that. But but it seems as though that happens a lot because a lot of times things get preached out of context. And again, I'm guilty. I've done it. And I, and every time I run across a place where I have, well, I feel like a heel. I'm like, goodness gracious, God, please forgive me. I didn't know any better. And you know, God does wink at ignorance. And there's not any deep doctrinal corrections I'm gonna make today. But I just I, I saw something in here that I wanted to point out along the way. So let's look at it this morning, verses four, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We'll go ahead and read the verses, and then we'll pray and get into the message this morning. The Bible says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. But, but judge, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up against the other, for uh, puffed up for one against the other. For who maketh thee to differ from another? 
And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now are you full. Now are you rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that ye did reign, and we might, that we might also reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed for death to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I ask you, please, give me power I need. Lord, I can't do a thing without you. Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Lord, I'm just a man. I'm weak, and I'm, I'm a frail human. And I pray, Father, you forgive me where I failed you. I pray, Lord, this morning that you cleanse me. Father, I, I beg you for the power of the Holy Ghost this morning. Lord, I can't preach or teach without you. I'm a failure if I even begin to try without you. Lord, I put myself in your hands. I put myself at your mercy. And, Lord, I ask your altar, Lord, and I ask you, please, give me unction. Give me power. Breathe on me. Lord, pour me out to your people. I'm your vessel. Please use me for Christ's honor and glory. I want to magnify the Lord today. Lord, please help me to preach and to teach these things. And, Lord, not not display them to your people, but transfer them to your people. And we'll give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to pull this coat off because it's hot up here, y'all. But anyway, I want to. We're going to talk this morning on the mysteries of God. Now, I can tell you before we even start, I could probably spend a week on this if I preach every night. If I preach a week long revival, I could probably spend a, an hour a night for a week on this, and probably still not flesh it all out because there's so much to be learned. So we're going to get we're going to get the cliff notes this morning. We're not going to get the whole thing, but we're going to get what we can get in this morning's time. And uh, and we're we're going to look at I want hope, before you leave here this morning before we go back there and get something to eat I hope and pray that you have a better understanding of your role as a believer of what you're to, what you're responsible for what you're to do as a believer uh, you know you hear me hammering all the time and harping on we're to be witnesses we're to be witnesses we're to be witnesses well that is true and we are to be witnesses but we're also to be other other things other than just witnesses. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I got one right up here I need to turn on, too. Yeah, because I'll blow my hair back. That'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Blow this hair back. I'd be the only hair it can get. Uh, but anyway, First Corinthians, let's look at it here this morning. Uh, I, I, we're talking about the mysteries of God. Let's look at verse 1, and I'll try to get through as much of this as I possibly can. I'll try to get through all of it uh, as quickly as I can. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay? Now, hold on right there. Do you remember when we spoke about mysteries before? Okay? Let me recap this thought just in case somebody was picking their fingernails or looking for something through their purse. I want to make sure that you understand mysteries. When we say the mysteries of God, we're talking about things that the Old Testament prophets did not fully understand. We're talking about things that people did not understand up until the time that Christ revealed those things. Some of those things, some of those, there are a couple of mysteries uh, in, the, in the Gospels that Christ revealed, but we're not talking about those this morning. I want to talk about, we're going to talk about six of them this morning that Paul uh, revealed, that were revealed to him by Christ, okay? And then one of them is John. 
But I'm going to give you seven mysteries this morning. And I know there are others, but, again, we don't have time for all those this morning. We're going to look at seven. But these, again, mysteries, things that weren't known previously, it was not in God's timing to reveal those things. That's why they were mysteries. Uh, these are not spooky things. Again, the devil has all kinds of mysteries. He has all kinds of secret societies and all kinds of esoteric wisdom that's out there that all these people are searching after. They won't do nothing but keep you lost. But nevertheless, let's understand this this morning the best we can, okay? I wish I had my whiteboard up here this morning. I'd write on it, Mysteries of God, because I want you to understand that, that, again, these are things that God wants us to understand. They may have been mysteries in times past, but they are not mysteries now. God has revealed them to us. And he tells us in here, so that a man account of us as the ministers of Christ. Okay? Understand. I'll tell you what let's do. Just so we are clear on this, let's back up in chapter 3 there. Just a few verses. Let's begin in verse 18 and read down into verse 14, uh, verse chapter 4. Let no man deceive himself. There were evidently a lot of people that had fooled themselves. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, so there was some there was some great philosophers going to the church there at Corinth. He said, let him become a fool. He needs to forget all that garbage, in other words, that he may be wise. In other words, if you don't have God's wisdom and you have world's wisdom, you need to dump all that world's wisdom and forget all that and become an absolute fool and start over with God's wisdom that you may be wise. For the foolishness of this world, I'm sorry, for the wisdom of this world, what this world calls fantastic wisdom, is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. They get caught in their own trap. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain, they're empty, they're a waste. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Paul is trying to get this across. Quit lifting men up and saying, oh, that's my hero. Oh, he's the greatest thing since Christ bread. They have dealt with that. Remember, I am Apollos, I'm Paul, I'm Cephas. So it's man worship that Paul is dealing with. You know, you think people get past that and it still goes on. It especially goes on in a lot of independent Baptist circles. And I can tell you back when I was young and stupid, look here. I used to have preachers sign my Bible. Like they were rock stars or something. I mean, I, I thought they preached a great sermon. And, and a lot of times I just wanted to have it just for the sake of having it. But I, I wasn't worshiping those men. But, but I know I know, I know. know it was a point in time where I realized it was silly and I quit doing it. Okay? And, and I know there are people who still do that. You know, again, I thought, man, what a great sermon. Sign my Bible. Everybody else is doing it. But I look back now and it's like, who was I doing that for? That was really kind of dumb. But nevertheless, Paul's telling them, he said, don't glory in men. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Why? Because it's as if you're the only person God ever made and he loves you and you alone. That's, the, that's really the way it is for every single individual believer. God doesn't love me. You know, when you've got a bunch of kids, you can't give every one of them everything you got because you're spread thin, right? So you have to give them what you can when you can. But when you're God, you can give everything you got to every child because you're God and you're able. So with God, that's what Paul's trying to say. Look, quit narrowing it down to this one guy and say, oh, everything special is coming through this one guy because he's the greatest thing that ever comes down the line. Paul said, get your head out of that and realize. 
that you're supposed to be something for God too. Quit worshiping men. Quit looking at men as they're something. All right? So he said, so let a man account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. There's two things there. There's ministers and stewards. Okay? The Greek word for minister, it literally means an under rower. So what is that? On those great big sailing ships go across the ocean back before they had what they have today, nuclear power, diesel power, and all that. When it was rowing or rowing or sailing, you had slaves. The deck below the, the top deck, they had they were down to maybe even in the lower deck. I'm not even sure, but they were there was a galley full of slaves and they're chained in their stocks right there in one spot. And you know what they got? They got an oar in their hand. And what's their job? Their job is to sit there and go and row. That's how that ship moves. You know what? That's literally what the word minister means. That ain't a very prestigious position, is it? Row, 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 over and over, on and on and on. It's dirty grunt work. It's the stuff nobody really wants to do. Again, it's a lowly position. Under rowers serve Christ, the master pilot, helping forward the ship of the church toward the haven of heaven. That's what ministers are to do. Okay? And every single one of us in here that saved by the grace of God is a part of that. It doesn't. I want you to make sure you understand that it says, let every man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. He never said as the pastors of Christ. He never said as the Sunday school teachers of Christ. He said ministers. Do you know that every one of us is called to minister? Every one of us, and we'll see that here in just a little bit. But I want you to understand that we are to be ministers of these mysteries. Okay? We're to be stewards. Steward. A steward is one who keeps something for someone else. They make, not, do they, not only do they watch it for somebody else, they know how to use it for somebody else. Uh, I can tell you, uh, the, the wealthy people in this world, the big, the big movers and shakers of this world, uh, the ones who have millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars, Listen, they're busy. They're off doing things. They've got people, business managers, who run their affairs. They've got people who, who, who have access to their accounts, who pay their bills, who, who, who purchase things and sell things for them, who take care of those things. Those are stewards taking care of their finances and taking care of their, their business. And that's exactly what Paul says we are. We are here, down here on this earth, and we possess the, the treasures of the mysteries of God. And Paul says not only are we to guard and protect those things, but we are to use those things for the ministration of, uh, of, the, of the gospel to the world, ministering to other people and helping and loving other people for Christ's sake. So let's look at them this morning. We're going to touch on them. We won't, get, we won't have time to, to stop down real fast. Uh, a long time on any of them, but I want you to turn to your Bible. You got your Bible out. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. We're going to turn to several places this morning. It'll take us a minute, but we'll get it. 1 Timothy 3.16. We're going to talk about the first mystery, which is the mystery of godliness. Okay? You might want to write these things down if you have a pen. These are serious. Okay? This ain't just a cute, passionate thought I'm giving you. This is something God wants you to know. 
And not just to know, God wants you to remember. And not just remember, God wants you to use. So you might want to get a pen and find something to write with. Um, number one, the mystery of godliness. And what is this talking about? This is talking about the deity of Christ, that he is God, okay? That he is, that he is the second member of the Trinity. That The doctrine of the Trinity is covered in this. All right, the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. The Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen? That means, hey, listen, that means he wasn't here in the flesh before, but then he came and he showed up in the flesh, and it was God in the flesh. Where? In a, in a manger in Bethlehem. And then he walked, he walked around Galilee, amen, in the flesh, son of carpenter, working hard, in the sun, working hard, being a good man, respected by everybody, did everything just as he was told, exactly right, kept the law perfect in every way. He was manifest in the flesh, but they crucified him. Amen. He, hey, they despised him. They hated him. They scorned him. They rejected him as their Messiah, and they crucified him. The Bible said, next it says he was justified in the Spirit. That means he didn't stay dead. No, the Spirit of God on the third and appointed day raised Jesus up from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. So he was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the Spirit. Amen. He was raised by the Spirit. The Bible said he was seen of angels. He was seen, helped, and all kinds of things by angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. Hallelujah. That's how I'm saved today, and that's how you're saved today. And he was believed on in the world. All over the world, people have believed on Jesus as their Savior, and he was received up into glory. There ain't nobody else ever done that. Amen? You and I are stewards of that. That's a precious mystery that you and I hold. And you know what? Before... Listen, before before the New Testament era ever started, listen, nobody knew that. They didn't understand that. They didn't realize Jesus was going to come and walk on the earth in the flesh and die on the cross. They didn't understand all that. They, they were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for a conquering king. They weren't looking for a suffering Savior. So they missed him altogether, and they rejected him. But that's the mystery of godliness. And again, that was not known, but we know it, and we hold it, and it's precious to us. And that's the way people understand that their salvation is through the mystery of godliness, what Jesus did, came and did for sinners. So uh, the most crucial kernel part of the gospel, there it is. Amen? And we, are, we, we hold it. We, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Amen? That the glory might be of God, not of us. Amen? So listen, praise God for the mystery of godliness. Number two, there's the mystery of the indwelling. The mystery of the indwelling, Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. This is the mystery of the Holy Ghost of God. You see, before before Jesus' uh, death, burial, and resurrection, the Spirit of God, he lived in this world, and he, and he dealt with men in this world. And when God got ready to use somebody to do something mighty for him, the Holy Ghost of God would come upon them and empower them to do whatever it was God needed him to do, but then the Holy Ghost would would depart. He wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't be upon them once they had done what God wanted them to do. It wasn't the same as it is with us, where the Holy Ghost of God lives in us. 
And that's what we're talking about, the mystery of the indwelling. Colossians 1, 26 and 27, the Bible says, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. So all down through the Old Testament, David didn't understand that someday the Holy Spirit of God was going to live inside somebody. He talked. To, he, he, told, he asked the Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But he didn't understand that he was going to live someday inside of him or inside of a believer. So it said, the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now manifest to his saints. Amen? I'm St. Brandon. That's good to meet you. I didn't know if y'all knew that, but I'm St. Brandon. Amen? Hey, hey, look here. There's St. Joanne right there. There's, there's saints all over this building. Amen? Every one of y'all professes to be a child of God. Amen? It professes to be washed the blood of the, blood of the Lamb. You're, you're a saint of God. And don't don't let that don't let that deter you from saying that because it sounds weird to you because you don't think of yourself like that. Amen. Listen, <clears throat> all them saints, the Catholic Church have venerated them folks ain't saints because yeah I don't even know if they got saved. I don't know if all the people were saved or not. So I sure ain't gonna call them saints. Amen. Saint ain't dead people. Saints are live people. Saints are people that have the Spirit of God living in them. Saints are people. Saints are people that have been washed in the Lamb. Now I know we go to heaven we feel saints. Amen. But I'm saying, listen, it ain't dead Catholics. It, it's Christians. Amen? So it said it's been made manifest to his faith. We know that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in to live. Whom, whom, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery? It says among the Gentiles. So this is to the church, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ lives in you. I know sometimes we can't see him because we muddy it up or we can't see him. We we, we do things that make God ashamed of us at times. We do things that limits the power of God in our life. And people can't see the power of God in our life. Amen. But he's there. He doesn't leave. Just because I fall down, just because I blow it, just because I sin and do something I should never have done, God does not leave. No, he convicts. He chastises, but he does not leave. But praise God because he lives in me. I have a hope that is steadfast and sure. Amen? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? On Christ the solid rock I stand. He's the hope that I have, and he lives in me, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, as the song says, and he tells me I'm his. Amen? That's the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. Praise God for the mystery of the indwelling. Amen? The hope of glory. Number three, there's the mystery of the body of Christ. The mystery of the body. Ephesians 3, 5 through 6. Again, we've talked, we've talked, about, we've talked about the mystery of godliness, that Christ came into this world, that Christ died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, and we talked about the fact that once once he was leaving there, he left us his spirit to indwell us. And now that make you know what? Who is that? Who is us? We are the body of Christ. So here's the third mystery, the mystery of the body. This is kind of going in order, is it not? So Ephesians 3, 5, and 6, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. No, they didn't, they didn't understand this body of Christ. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. The Gentiles should be fellow heirs 
That means everything that is available to the Jew is available to the Gentile. God is not, all down through the ages, God played favorites with the Jewish, with the, with the nation of Israel. He's always, they're his, they're his favorites, and they're still his favorites, and I'm fine with that. But God, even though they've been his favorites, and he's going to give them a chance again afterward, and he, he's, he's only given us this period of time. This is it. Gentile church age. But he's, given, he's going to give the Jews another chance. But praise God, that's, that's God's choice. That ain't nothing to do with me. But the Bible says that we're fellow heirs. Everything God has available, he's going to share with me. He's going to share with you. What a deal. What did you, get, what did you put into this deal to get all this? Remind me, what did, you, what, did you, what did you offer God that was so great that he gave you all these things? Your sin? Yeah. That was all you had to offer God was your wicked sin. And God in return gave you everything that, that he has. Well, I bet we're the most grateful people on the planet. I bet we just work with God hard every day, aren't we? Hmm. Let's keep going. Again, we're called the body of Christ. This this group in here this morning, we are the body of Christ. Amen? So as his body, we're supposed to function as his body. You know what his body did when it was down here before? It reached sinners. It brought sinners into the family of God. That's what Jesus did in his body while he walked around on this earth. He loved and ministered and was compassionate, and, and, and he literally showed them the heart of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's our job. We're stewards of that. We're ministers of that. God has told us that. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 32. Paul said, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about where he says, where he says wives. Well, let's just read it. Let's just read it, and so we'll understand it a little better if we don't already. Ephesians 5 and 22 and following. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. See, the, the husband and wife bond is a picture of the bond that we have as the church with the Lord Jesus Christ. The marriage, the marriage bond is a picture of our relationship with God. And Satan, that's why Satan attacks the marriage so hard, because Satan wants to tear up. He wants to tear up uh, the picture of Christ in the church. He doesn't want us to have communion one with another. He doesn't want us to be close and, 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 and have intimate time together, because, again, he doesn't want us to have intimate time alone with God. He wants to blow up every picture of everything good that God has created. And listen, he puts it in the heart of a man to be selfish with his time and with his attention. He puts it in a woman's heart to be selfish with her time and her attention and her affection. He takes away all the good things that we have for each other in order to make us unsatisfied in our relationship one with another so that we feel unsatisfied in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Don't think devil ain't smart. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. And he outsmarts many of us. And why do you think God says, let no man be deceived, let no man be deceived, let no man be deceived, let no man be seduce you, over and over and over, because Satan is smart, and he's working hard to seduce and deceive every one of us and keep us from loving God the way we ought to. Let me keep going. All right, wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You're to do it for Jesus, not for your husband, because he's a man and he'll fail. 
Amen. You do it as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Again, Christ is the head of us. He tells us what to do, and we say, Amen. We don't fuss. When Jesus said, this is what I want you to do, I, we don't fuss. And I know every wife will say, well, you ain't Jesus. No, I'm not. And your husband ain't Jesus either. But you know what? God has ways you ain't got to understand to obey. I was reading in Sunday school about the, the near kinsman. Hey, listen. He had to raise up children to his dead relative and say they were his dead relative's kids. I wouldn't have liked that, but I'd have had to go along with it if I was a kinsman redeemer. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, God asks, sometimes asks us to do things we don't understand, but he has a reason that it goes beyond ours, and we're to trust, Psalm said, and obey. So even as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we're supposed to be willing to go above and beyond as husbands and understand that wives are going to fail us sometimes, and we're not to be angry with them when they fail us. We're to be understanding because Christ is awfully, he's awfully long-suffering toward us when we fail him. So just the same, we're to be long-suffering toward our wives and not get mad and throw her out and get us a new one because the last one broke. I mean, that's just not how God, God don't pitch us out of his church just because we messed up. Amen? So, again, we see this, this mystery God has given us to show us and teach us about our relationship with him in the church. Number four, I've got to hurry. I ain't never going to get this done. The mystery of the rapture. All right? The mystery of the rapture. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Paul said there, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means we're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. Amen. If you ever decide to put a put something up above the beds in the nursery of the church somewhere, that's the verse for it. Behold, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Amen. Perfect nursery verse. But it, but again, out of context, there you go. Uh, but anyway, we shall not all sleep. We'll not all die, but we shall all be changed. Again, we're not. We're, we're all going to be different. Whether we come out of the grave and a, a dead body comes out of the grave, all corroded and everything, but it's changed. It's, it's incorruptible all of a sudden. It's a perfect body. We stand here on earth. Our clothes fall to the ground and an incorruptible body clothed in his righteousness heads for the skies. We're going to be changed for this corruptible, sinful flesh must put on incorruption, flesh that ain't sinful. And this mortal must put on immortality. When this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death, it's swallowed up in victory. Death ain't got no hold on you no more. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Thought you won, didn't you? Yeah, they buried me, put dirt over me, but bless God, I ain't in there. Hallelujah. And I ain't going in there. Amen? I'll never die. Hallelujah. I will never die. Look at me. I ain't never going to die. I may drop, hey, this body may drop dead in a minute, but I can tell you right now, I am never going to die because I am going to live forever. In glory with Jesus because he saved my soul. Amen? <clears throat> the sting of death is sin. I ain't got no stinger in mine. Hallelujah. God took that away. The strength of sin is the law, and it can't do a thing about it. Amen? Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory over sin and over what the law couldn't do. Hallelujah. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye 
steadfast. That means quit wavering around like a drunk man going down the road, can't figure out how to go in a straight line. Be you steadfast. Get steady. Hold the wheel. Mark it down. Follow Jesus. Quit doing it your way. Quit swerving. Amen? Be you steadfast, unmovable. Make your mind up you're going to serve God and quit walking around after this world, chasing it, trying to search after its lust. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get busy for God. Amen. So be steady. Don't change. Get busy and stay with it. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Nothing that you do for Jesus. And I stood yesterday. I stood yesterday preaching the the, uh, the memorial service of my aunt, my aunt Mary Ruth Norris. And I, and the comments I made, I, I preached. I preached about the the Mary of Bethany, who was there at the house of Simon the leper in Mark chapter 14, where she anointed Jesus. She broke that alabaster box and poured that precious spikenard ointment over him. And I talked about that, what she gave was precious and what she gave was on purpose. But what she gave was priceless. I, I said, you know, there was, there was people when, when Jesus and his disciples were standing around and the widow folk wrote in her two mics. There were people that thought, well, what is that? That's nothing. She didn't give nothing. That was barely anything. But Jesus said, no, she gave more than all the rest because she gave all she had. And that's what I talk about my aunt. My aunt, she gave all she had to God. She poured her life in service to the Lord Jesus. And if anybody, I said, I said yesterday, I said, if others outside the Lord's work and outside the Lord's family were watching her and looking at her life, they'd step back and say, that woman wasted her life. She threw her life away. She didn't ever live. She never did enjoy this world. She was always busy working, trying to do something for somebody else. Always, always doing something for somebody else. Never doing anything for herself. That's what they said about her. You know what? Like I said yesterday, what she did was priceless. And someday in, the, in, in heaven, someday when we get we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, listen, then we're going to find out just how much value her works had. Amen? And I can tell you right now, if we labor for the Lord down here, if we give our, our best for Jesus, if we're not doing it trying to look good for others, if we're doing it because we truly are grateful that his blood has set us free from the penalty of sin and death, if we're doing it because we love him for what he has done for us, they will not, they will, you will lose nothing, amen? Matter of fact, your reward will blow your mind as to what God will give you in return for your little meager efforts. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18 said, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That phrase, that two words, caught up, it is the Greek word harpazo, where we get the word harpoon, where, where you fire something into a fish and catch it and pulls it out of the water. And when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to reach into this world and take his church and pull us out of this old world. He's going to harpazo us up right into glory. And the Bible says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, this mystery wasn't revealed until it was revealed to Paul, amen, to give to the church. This is a mystery that God gave. And then number five, 
Uh, so again, let me let me recap this real quick. We've seen the mystery of godliness that Jesus came, he died on the cross, was buried, rose again, the mystery of the indwelling that the Holy Ghost lives inside of us, the mystery of the body of Christ, that we're his body, the mystery of the rapture, and number five, the mystery of the restoration of Israel. Romans eleven, twenty five and twenty six. Israel is going to be restored. You may say, well, wait a minute, isn't it already a nation? Yeah, it's already a nation. Uh, that's part of it. And praise God, God has done a powerfully miraculous thing that nobody ever thought would ever, ever, ever happen. I can tell you right now, the, 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 the ministers, the preachers, the evangelists, everybody that's lived from, from the Apostle Paul on forward down up, up until 1948, listen, they never thought they were going to see Israel come back together as a nation. But it happened. But that's not even all of what this is talking about. Romans 8, uh, sorry, 11, 25, 26. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness, in part, is happened to Israel. What does that mean? They couldn't see that Jesus was the Messiah. They rejected him. When they rejected when they rejected him and they stoned Stephen, that was when God took his hand off of it and said, fine, salvation will go to the Gentiles. Okay? In Israel, I've told you this already, so there's two lawmakers over there, and if they get their way, they've already got, they've already got the bill through, and I'm not sure if they got it into law yet, but if they get it through, if you mention Jesus' name, witnessing to anybody in Israel, you'll get at least one year in jail. If you witness, uh, share Jesus with somebody who's a minor, you get at least two years in jail. That's an antichrist system coming, folks. That's all that is right there. We're living on the cusp. He said blindness is part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So, again, until what we call the age of grace, and understand God's grace has always existed. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But this age of grace that we live in, amen, since Calvary until the rapture of the church, this church age, as we call it, the, uh, the, the, the age of grace, until that is completed, the Bible says that Israel will be blind. They can't see that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? So, and, and the Bible says in verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. So, and, and Israel is going to be saved basically in a day. When God does, it's going to happen during this time called the tribulation period. And why is this mystery important? I'm telling you why, because that, that rotten outfit right down there a block from here, they try to tell you that Israel's done and that they, they replaced Israel and that all the promises of God in, in the New Testament, uh, I mean, all the promises of God in the Old Testament to Israel are now somehow magically transferred to the Roman Catholic Church. They're liars out of the pit of hell, and they're going to burn in it. Not all of them, because some of them in there found Jesus, but not many. But I'm telling you, believe in the garbage they preach down there, they'll wind up in the pit of hell. God's got a plan for the Jew, and he ain't done. Amen. He's going to finish that. The Bible says, it is written, there shall come out of the sign the deliverer who shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. So again, it's important that we know these things. It's important that we understand these things. It's important that we share these things with other people. It's important that we pass this knowledge on to the younger generation that's coming up that ain't got a clue. Sixth thing. Sixth thing. Now, John taught this one. This wasn't Paul. I know some of y'all getting nervous because I ain't even got out of verse 1, and I got nine verses. <laughs> and we'll figure that out when we get here in a second. And I know it's almost time, but we're almost, we're almost through, through the big part. 
Um, but the mystery of Babylon the Great. And I taught on that in Sunday school. I don't have time to go into that very deeply, so I'm just going to touch on it. John taught this. It's in Revelation 17, verse 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Who is that? Well, I believe with all my heart. Again, same outfit that's pointed at. I, I taught through Sunday school. Listen, I believe that, that the spiritual component of the Antichrist system up until the three and a half weeks will be the Catholic Church and all that she encompasses and brings in because she is a she is the continuation of Babylon. She is the continuation of the Babylonian religion blended together with Christianity that's been perverted and it's a counterfeit religion. And and we've been went through that in Sunday school and taught all the way through that, and I can save you some time because you already know these things. So so that's number six. That's the mystery of Babylon the Great. We're to teach that. We're to, we're to let people understand. And that's hard to teach because you, you don't want to hurt people, but you've got to tell them the truth. You've got to let them know. All right? The seventh one is the mystery of the Antichrist. The mystery of Antichrist. We covered that just a couple of couple of months ago in in. 2 Thessalonians, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So the Antichrist, and we know this because the Antichrist system is already working. It's already being set up. Uh, we're headed toward a cashless society very quickly. Y'all been hearing that? I know good well. Everybody in here has been hearing that ever since you were young. That we're, going, we're headed toward a cashless society. Well, we've been hearing it, but we're really literally at the doorstep of it now. And once we get into that, there will be no way for you to control your destiny. It will be controlled for you. And, and when they decide that you're not doing what they want, they'll just make it where you can't use anything in your account, and you'll suffer for it. They do that in China. It's called social credit score, and that's what they're headed for over here. They're headed over here in this country for, for what they call 15-minute cities where you'll be locked into walled cities where you can't leave unless they say you can. That's where they're headed. That's the Antichrist system that's coming. And, of course, there's chips and all those things, too, uh, that are coming. And, and, and the mark of the beast, well, however that's going to be, that's coming. All those things are coming, but not until the church is out of the way. So, we finished these seven. So these seven things, understand something here. These seven things are extremely important. And they're extremely important that you and I know these things, that we study these things. And you may be sitting there saying, well, I never had a preacher tell me I was supposed to know and study these things before. Well, all we have to do is read right there in verse 1, and we see that God says we are the ministers of Christ, and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And as I was saying before, preaching verses out of context, well, then you go right to verse 2, and it makes perfectly sense, perfect good sense. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we are to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. You and I, as a member of Temple Baptist Church, as a member of the family of God, are to be stewards of these teachings. If you know, listen to me, if somebody gets saved and all they knew about the Bible was these seven mysteries right here, do you know nobody could lead them off in the false doctrine? If you understand these seven things, can't nobody take you off in the false doctrine? you understand who Jesus is, you understand the Holy Spirit lives in you, 
Listen, you understand all these things, the body of Christ? You, uh, listen, you can't be taken off into false doctrine. You're grounded. And God wants us to get grounded in the Word. God wants us to ground others in the Word. Listen, when we get grounded in the Word, we realize why we're here. We realize what we're to be doing. We realize the purpose that we have. And so we get busy once we realize that God has given us something to do. He's given us a charge, marching orders, to get with it and do this. I want to show you this too. Turn to Ephesians 4. Turn there with me. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 14. And then I'm going to wrap it up quick, put a bow on it, I promise you. I'll hit them last verses real quick. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Again, the Bible says, moreover, it is required. doesn't say it's suggested. It's required. When it's a requirement, what does that mean? You got to do it, doesn't it? If you're going to please God, look here, you're going to have to obey him. And God says it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful what? Faithful with his mysteries. Listen, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. The only thing God's given in this day we're living in is evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All right? But he gave evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What for? For the perfecting of the saints. Now, what is perfecting? We know we talk about that here later. It means growing up and maturing, right? So God gave, uh, he gave he gave evangelists, he gave you pastors and teachers to grow you up as saints of God in the Lord, to teach you these things, these mysteries, these truths. For what? There it is. For the work of the ministry. So who does the work of the ministry belong to? Right there. What did I say earlier? Who all saints? All of us in here. Right. So the work of the ministry doesn't belong to the pastor. The work of the ministry belongs to the, the saints of God. So you say, what's the preacher so? What's the preacher supposed to be doing? Well, it's in verse 11. Pastor and teacher, it, well, it's in verse 12 too. I'm, my job is to perfect the saints. My job is to teach you how to grow up in the Lord and how to minister. My job is to teach you what God would have you to do. Why? Why are we doing that? It's right there in verse 12. For the edifying of the body of Christ. If you edify something, what does that mean? That means you help it. That means you bless it. That means it multiplies. That means it grows. So how does a church grow? A church grows not when the preacher preaches better sermons or when the preacher does this. It's when the church body begins to minister to people around them and people say, oh, I want to be in church with you. And they come with you, and the church grows as we minister to people outside this room. If all we do is minister to one another, we are not doing what God called us to do. We're not edifying the body of Christ. We're edifying ourselves. How long are we supposed to do this? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So we need to keep doing this and keep working until until everybody knows who Jesus is. We're all in agreement on it. We all know all these truths. We all have grown up in the Lord in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or a grown believer unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that ain't never going. I ain't never going to get there like this. So there ain't no stopping place. So believers are to be working all their life. 
and he says that we be no more children. That almost sounds like what he was saying in chapter 3. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. He said, we don't need to be little kids. We don't need to be. Little kids don't have a care in the world. Little kids don't know a whole lot of things. Little kids just playing. Little kids just having fun. And that's what a lot of Christians are trying to do. They just play and having fun. They're not worried about anything serious. God says, quit being kids. Toss to and fro. Yeah, something come along, you go, oh, what about that? I ain't never heard that before. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. Somebody says something to you, say, well, I don't know. What? Is that in my Bible? I don't know. I had never heard that before. Don't let, listen, you won't get shaken. If you get grounded, you're not going to be shaken. Amen. Listen, you take a big old tree, I mean, the wind will blow and blow and blow. The leaves are going to go like this right here, but the tree is solid. It ain't going nowhere. It's got roots. It's solid. It's got a firm foundation. I tell you, I, I heard a great sermon years ago by Bill Pinnell. It was on it was on oak trees and squash plants. He said, "Listen, I want to be a oak tree Christian." He said, "There's a lot of squash plant Christians." He said, "You know what? Squash plant will jump up overnight. Before you know it, that thing's big, man. It's growing like crazy and producing. And you look at it and say, "Wow, man! What look at what, what a producer! What a producer!" He said, "But let a storm come through, blow real hard, shake that thing real good, and it'll dry up." He said, but you take that oak tree. It may not look like much at first. It's just a little old sapling. I mean, it's, it's just shaking in the wind at first. But in time, it puts roots down and its trunk solidifies. And it gets to where the hardest, the heaviest wind can blow. It ain't going nowhere. I want to be an oak tree. I don't want to be a squash plant. We'd be no more children. Tossed about, to and fro, carried with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, by cunning craftiness. I don't want people to be able to fool you. I don't want people to be able to be a fool of me. Now, let's hurry. We're going to finish. And I know it's after, afternoon, but we're going to get there. Give me just a second. But with me, verse 3, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. Give me your attention here for the next 10 minutes. I promise you I'll get this done. We'll go eat. Paul's attitude, look here in the verse 3. It's, it's, he said, it really don't matter to me what you think. He said, man, you're rude, ain't you, Paul? Paul said, it really don't, make no matter, it don't matter to me what anybody thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. Look there. That's what he's saying. He said, judge you or man's judgment or my own self. It don't make no difference what none of us think. Listen, if you're ever going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to get over yourself. You're going to have to quit worrying about what other people think about you or what you're doing. Because you know what? Some people are, going, are never going to like you no matter what you do. And, and other people are going to like you no matter what you do. So you can't you can't you can't let your your circum you can't let circumstances change your service to God. No matter how people feel about you on that side, you need to decide you're going to serve God regardless of what anybody else thinks. Just like Paul said, don't make no difference what nobody thinks. One one that matters is God. Verse four: For I know nothing by myself; yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Now Paul clearly understood who the judge is. And it ain't me, and it ain't you, and it ain't him. It's the righteous Lord of Lords. So he's saying, listen, I don't I can't judge myself. I don't know enough to judge myself. And I can't justify myself by the fact that I don't know enough to judge myself. Gotta do it. Second Corinthians ten eighteen for not he that commendeth himself is approved. That means the one who presents himself says, look at me, I'm great, I did everything right. 
No, that's not the one that's approved. It's whom the Lord commended. The Lord is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It ain't me to say, I'm a great servant of God. No, it ain't up to me to defend my service to God or, or, or try to make myself out to be something I'm not. Verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have the praise of God. He's referring back to the judgment seat of Christ, which we covered. He's saying, look here, don't make heroes out of men. Don't cast the final judgment on anybody either. Amen? Don't blow this one up. Oh, he's the greatest preacher I ever heard. He's the greatest thing in the world. And, and this guy's awful. Listen, don't judge people based on your, your little limited view. Don't make heroes out of people. Everybody puts on their pants just the same way. Everybody messes up. Everybody gets back up. It's just the way it is. You can't look at somebody and tell what they're going to be for God just by your view of them. I'll give you an example. Samson. We all know about Samson. Well, we read about him here just a couple. Well, some of y'all was in Sunday school, but the ones who were, you heard about him, how he messed up. Man, he run around with prostitutes. He ate things out of dead dead animal carcasses. I mean, he 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 done everything wrong, everything wrong. He was a man of God, and he did everything wrong. He was a colossal failure as a godly example. But guess what? In Hebrews chapter 11, in God's hall of fame, of faith, there Samson is. So God sees something none of us saw. So if the Lord looks on the heart, he don't look on the outward appearance. The world ain't got no idea how God views things. They ain't got no clue. But the judgment seat of Christ is going to clear up all that confusion. It sure is. Verse 6, And these things, Paul said, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you might be puffed up for one against another. Basically, he's saying, I'm just using myself and Paulos as an example here so you won't start favoring one of your preachers over another one and get all prideful. That's all he's saying right there. All right, verse 7. He said, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory even as, as if, as if thou hadst not received it. I, I put it like this. Who in the world do you think you are? That's what Paul's basically saying. You came into this world naked, and you've been handed everything you have. Think about it. You come into this world screaming naked. What did you have to brag on when you showed up? An umbilical cord? I got, that's all I got. That's a cord. Now, they're going to cut it loose. I ain't going to have it. But, again, everything that you have, everything that you own, everything, it's a blessing from God. And I know somebody's thinking, well, hold on, Mr. Preacher. I work hard for everything I got. Well, sure you do. I, I, nobody doubts that you work hard for everything you got. But I got some questions for you if you're thinking like that. Who gave you the mind to be able to work to begin with? Who gave you your body and gave you the strength in your body to be able to work? Who, who's the one that keeps your heart beating so your blood keeps going through there, feeding your muscles oxygen so that you keep going? Who's the one that keeps your lungs working, that keeps oxygen going through your blood system? Who holds your mortal coil intact? Yeah, I thought so. It's, 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 we ain't got nothing to brag about, do we? Everything we have. I mean, the breath we're drawing right now, God gave it to us or we wouldn't have it. Got nothing to brag about. 
But, boy, we got plenty to praise God for, don't we? We sure do. Amen. Verse 8, now you're full. Now you're full. Now you're rich, he said. You've reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that you did reign. And we that we also might reign with you. See, Paul, some people don't like me using sarcasm. I won't say who, but some people don't like me using sarcasm. But Paul used sarcasm. It's right here. Paul said, now y'all are full. I can hear it in his voice. Oh, yeah. You know, we left, and y'all, we got there, and y'all was empty. But, boy, we left, and we left and gone a little while, and, boy, y'all are full now. Y'all have figured everything out since we left. That's what he's saying. Y'all figured it all out when we left. You don't even need us anymore. Y'all reigned as kings without us. We left, and, boy, y'all just, y'all just took over. Y'all got it all figured out, you know. You found your boy wonder, preacher boy, and he's light years ahead of me and Apollos, and, Man, y'all just take off and got it all going, amen. He said, you know, I really I really wish what you thought was true really was. I really wish I really wish it was that. I, I wish it was as good as you think you had it. You know, down in, down in Laodicea, they thought they had everything too. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, it makes me sick. Because you think you've got it all. You think you're rich and you have need of nothing. And Paul was basically saying the same thing in the Church of Corinth. The Church of Corinth was not far from Laodicea, and the Church of Corinth was not far from Laodicea in its in its spiritual uh, attitudes either. But Paul ain't seeking credit. He wants them to get off their high horse. He wants them to humble themselves at the feet of Jesus. He wants them to understand that Bible preachers are not superstars. Matter of fact, Bible preachers are not popular. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, he was preaching some Bible, and they cut his head off. Um, Bible preachers are hated. It's the truth. Now, 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 Joel Osteen, they love him. You know, Copeland, he got people, I, I, he, I don't know who, because <laughs> he's scary looking. That's like, you can look in his eyes, you know, there's some crazy, weird stuff going on in, behind them. Uh, T.D. Jakes, those guys, you know, the big shot TV preachers, they're king. Man, they they, they fly around in, in, in multi-million dollar jets. They live in multi-million dollar homes. They wear $100,000 suits. They got rings on every finger. They got people do everything for them. Yes, men, everywhere they turn, they live like kings. I guarantee you, everything they eat, it's top of the line. They they, they, they eat lobster and steak every, every day, probably. I mean... Kings. It's pitiful. The world is their kingdom. You realize that, right? They're 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 living for this world. In the last verse, I'm gonna cover this. We're done. Paul said, "But I thank God has set forth us apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men." I just look at people like Joel and. Kenneth and TD, and I say, you know, y'all are kings with your big jets and mansions and shiny new Bible versions, and y'all just go on ahead. I don't want none of that stuff. I ain't after that stuff. Paul, Paul, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we're like condemned prisoners. We're facing execution. We know that. We're a curious oddity to the rest of the world. The rest of the world looks at them and says, 
what in the world would, would, would these men be willing to lay down their lives for? Again, he said, we're made a spectacle to the world. I think about the Christians that were thrown to the lions in the, in the Colosseum. You know, the, the people used to fill the Colosseum like an NFL football game and cheer for the lions to tear the Christians apart. And when they'd raise the door, the lion would come bounding across the arena and take his big old paw and swipe a Christian and tear shred, tear him to shreds and blood would blow everywhere. And they would crowd with a rut like they'd scored a touchdown. Paul said, we're appointed to death. We're made a spectacle. Ain't nobody cheering for us to do good. They're cheering for us to die. What makes a man lose his lust for the things that are found in 1 John 2.16? You know, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What makes a man lose those lusts? I think these things we talked about today, these mysteries being entrusted to them, and realizing that God had given them those things. We need to realize that God has literally entrusted me and you to carry the precious cargo of the Word of God that will that has the power to save somebody's soul. We are stewards of it. We're to be careful with it. We're to use it properly. We are to use it. And when we begin to use the things that God has given us and we begin to do the things that God has told us to do, listen, it will change the way you view this world. It will change your outlook on this world. It will give you a hope. Your hope will be fixed on on the hope that lays beyond this old sinful world, not this world and what it can give. 1 Corinthians 2.9. I I read it here just a couple weeks ago. It said, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God loves you. God loves me. And God has entrusted us with these mysteries, these great truths, that Christ has come in the flesh, that he lives in believers, in the person of the Holy Ghost, that those believers make up the body of Christ, that that body will be taken up at the rapture of the saints, followed by the tribulation period with the rise of Antichrist and mystery Babylon, during which time God will redeem Israel to the Messiah. We are to take these truths and be faithful witnesses until he comes. Are you being a faithful steward? Have you been a faithful steward? Are you ministering to others for Christ's sake? That's really the main question today. If you're not, why? Maybe you say, well, I didn't understand I was supposed to until this morning. Well, what are you going to do with that knowledge now? You say, well, is this part of my faith? Am I not saved? No, you're saved. But will God be pleased if we don't do what he tells us to do? No. God's not pleased unless we're obedient. So my, my, my recommendation for you this morning is to take a look and examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Not whether you're saved, but whether ye be in the faith. Being in the faith, it means it's an active thing. In something, that means you're a part of it. 
Not standing on the sidelines watching it, but you're involved. If you're not involved today, right now, and the Holy Spirit's talking to you, respond to God. Make some decisions, and let's get busy for God. Let's stand together. Sister, come on and play. We're going to sing a song of invitation. We're going to turn to number 10 in our hymn book. We're going to sing number 10, and I'm going to ask you this morning, do business with God. If he's leading you to, come and do business with him. We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen? Listen, he wants you to follow him, and that's what this message has been about. We're to take hold of these things and be no more children. We're to follow the Lord and be obedient. Father, I pray on that you help us now. This invitation, Father God, I preached a long time, and I pray, Father, that folks will still respond, even though I've kept them a while. Lord God, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit should work in our lives and draw us to decisions now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No turning back, no turning. 